Hey, welcome to another episode of Just Tell the Truth on this Labor Day, September 4, 2023. I am your host, KC. I found it fitting today to talk to you a little bit about Labor Day and a little bit about its history and where it comes from. But before we get into that, I just want you to consider for a minute the people that hmm, uh, provide valet service at your favorite restaurant. For the workers that clean your room when you're off on holiday. For the people who pick up your trash and take it away so that you don't have to deal with it. For those that build the houses that you live in. For those that drive the buses and the and the rail cars and the steam engines and the cargo ships that you're not even aware of. What about those people? Those that work here illegally to harvest your fruit, your vegetables, that make your tennis shoes, that sell your favorite Gucci bag. What about those people? Those who work in the cutting shops for your favorite designers, who provide dog grooming services, who gives you a back rub and a massage. Those people who are privileged, I guess you would say, or should we say we're privileged, to have them for our personal beck and call. Of course, for a little cash. And that's one of the reasons why the unions and Labor Day came into being, for just that very statement, for such a little cash. I want you to consider them for a minute. And as you do, go with me down this journey to learn a little bit how the first Labor Day came into being. Because as we celebrate Labor Day now in the marketplace, we are more apt to, um, you know, want to go have a picnic, go to grandma's house, you know, play some good old backyard fish fry music and have a good time and tell old jokes and old stories. But it wasn't like that always. We are the, we are the benefactors of those who were willing to stand up for themselves and organize themselves against those who would potentially perennially get rich off of their labor. They wanted a piece of the pie too, wouldn't you? So let's talk a little bit about how their recognition and demanding of being seen and appreciated came to being. Having the first Monday in September off from work was a remarkable American work remarkable for American workers in 1894 when Labor Day was declared a national holiday. According to Investopedia.com, working condition in the country's factories, railroads, mills, and mines were very grim. Employees included children who were often required to work 12 or more hours a day, six days a week in crowded, poorly ventilated spaces. Let's stop right here for a minute. Can you imagine your six-year-old working right beside you, slinging mud or digging coal or cleaning out somebody's latrine or, you know, washing clothes on a washboard? They didn't have all the modern conveniences that we have today. And they're working in these places that are dank and dark and full of disease and mosquitoes and God only knows what else. But this was required in order that their families could eat. 
As they began to go along and they saw that their kind were being abused and misused and dying early of this or that and the other, they began to understand that they wanted more out of life. They wanted some of what the boss was getting. So they put out calls for a shorter work week, better conditions, through the way of strikes and rallies. It was nothing like the U.S. Um, manufacturing sector had ever seen before. As a matter of fact, on September 5th in 1882, union leaders in New York City organized what was thought to be the first Labor Day parade. Now, on the surface, you may think that, okay, well, or, um, this, you know, gives the people some of what they asked for, right? They asked for some time off. They asked for some time to get a little play in. You know, our, our work and no play makes Joe a dull boy. But they, the manufacturers and the employers did it as a way to try to appease the people right then in the spot and thinking that that was going to be enough. You see, on that day, they said that thousands of labor union members, bricklayers, jewelers, topographers, dress and cloak makers, and many other tradespeople took unpaid leave, money that they could not afford to lose in their households, and marched with their local unions. And the day ended with the parade, with the picnics, the speeches, the fireworks, and a little fun thrown in. However, it was not enough. As with all things in America, the, the pace of getting to what they wanted and what they had to demand out of our government was slow. Our laws here are very slow to move. And that hasn't changed from that time to this. All you got to do is turn on CNN, CNBC, or any TV station, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram. It's all there. So the holiday was thought to be a conciliatory gesture to the labor and became the less radical alternative to the International Workers' Day. Now, as I can understand, the International Workers' Day was a little more heated. A little bit more demanding went on, whereas they wanted to appease to the everyday workers' good side and give them a little extra rest, and hopefully that'll make you know all the ruckus about unions and forming and uh, demanding things from their employer groups come to a halt, or at least slow down a little bit. However, as time passed, company owners began to accept workers' demands for better treatment. Well, guess what? Those same people that came out to that parade, bricklayers, jewelers cloakmakers and the like, they were able to gather among their own. And you know the old phrase, there is strength in numbers. So the one thing that the employers thought was going to appease the people and calm it down for their benefit actually worked in reverse. It actually worked to the benefit of the people. Go One, one strike for the little man. Yes, yes, yes. One strike for the little man. And as a result of what the employers were seeing, because they needed these people to work, they didn't need people to be willing to give up wages and to go on strike and bring their productivity to a halt. Because if the people weren't working, the employers weren't making any money. And money is the name of the game. The first to get this idea was Henry Ford. So in 1914, he doubled the wages of his uh, factory workers from $2.50 a day to $5 a day. And his and his uh, cohorts began to take notice. When his profits doubled in two years, his rivals realized he might be on to something. And in 1926, he went a little further. He cut his workers' hours 
per day from nine hours to eight hours. Shortly thereafter, in 1938, President Franklin D. Roosevelt did him one better. In the New Deal and the Fair Labor Standards Act, he eliminated child labor. He set a minimum wage standard per hour. And he mandated a shorter work week with overtime pay for longer shifts. Can you imagine working 16 hours a day and nobody looking to pay you overtime? For real? Not happening. Not in this day in society. But back then, that was a huge win for the everyday man. To be able to work less time, get paid overtime for anything over eight hours, and to be able to have an extra day off a week. That statistic actually came from the U.S. Department of Labor, first in the Act of 1938. Look it up for yourself. Don't just take my word for it. You need to know your history. However, as things often do, when you have change, there's always going to be somebody in opposition. So, as the unions began to, you know, raise up, and the people's voices began to get stronger, and their demands were starting to be met, you have many that were in the government that were just wanting things to go back to the way they are. Hmm, does that sound familiar? However, that's another conversation podcast for another day. And so in the, in the 20th century, for those people who the government did not see fit or uh, as uh, working with government or going along with the same old get along, they tend to call them anarchists, communists, and socialists. These people were early labor organizers and agitators who saw the potential of the collective worker to create a moral and just society, meaning that everybody gets a piece of the pie, not just the one that baked the pie. Some of those people who helped uh, bring this about were um, Eugene V. Debb, who founded the American Railway Union and the Industrial Workers of the World, the IWW. He even ran for president according to the... Um, to the statistics five times on the Socialist Party ticket. Not because so much that he was trying to radicalize things, but rather he was trying to normalize things so that everyday people could live like with some dignity and some hope and some uh, legacy to leave forward and not just labor for labor's sake. Other prominent labor activists included anarchist Lucy Parsons, socialist Big Bill Haywood, and communist Elizabeth Gurley Flynn. Now, I'm an American. I'll say that first and foremost. However, when you read some of these different points of view for politics, and I would encourage you to do your own homework, that there are some portions of it that actually work, and you can see some of that reflected in our own democracy. I'm not saying there's a perfect system because there's not. Ours is the best in the world as far as I can see. But some of these ideas about how to treat people, how people should live, they actually begin in these different viewpoints of looking at life as a whole. So social activism of modern times include civil rights leader Bayard Rustin, workers' rights advocate and secretary of labor Francis, K. Francis Perkins, excuse me, and farm worker champion Dolores Huerta, H-U-E-R-T-A. Look her up on PBS. There's an excellent documentary out there about her. And again, as with all things would change, and you meet opposition with those in high places, you had government-sanctioned persecution. Like, that's any different from before the Civil War, huh? 
After major strikes and demonstrations, it says here that the leaders were often arrested on political grounds. Very sad. It says, for example, after the Haywood Market incident, where there was some unrest about how workers were being treated and somebody threw a bomb and uh, a bunch of stuff got destroyed, it says scores of foreign-born radicals and labor organizers were rounded up by the police in Chicago and everywhere else. All they was doing was trying to do their job. All they were doing was trying to stand up for their people so that they can have a life of humanity. And they got arrested because they weren't born here. Of those people, there were eight labeled as anarchists. Remember, they called you what they wanted to call you if you didn't agree with them. So you have eight men labeled as anarchists, anarchists meaning that they were labeled as being against the government. And they were convicted in a trial which there was no evidence, none, not a piece, was given linking the defendants to that bombing. Seven of these innocent men were sentenced to death, and four of them were hanged. I'm going to let that soak in for me. People who were just doing their job, trying to feed their family, because they wanted a boy. Because they wanted a piece of pie. Because they wanted to be recognized and appreciated for what they were doing. They were labeled as anarchists. And were. They were among the many who were unjustified and executed in efforts to tamp down the growing labor movement and rid it of its radical leaders. Again, I'm an American and I love my country. But we have a very dark side. In which if those that don't agree with the majority in power, look through our history. Look how we've treated immigrants that they've come over. Immigrants helped build this country. Immigrants did the menial work that those in the, in the aristocracy wouldn't do. Not didn't want to do. Would not do. But from the 1920s on, the Union of Soviet Socialist, Socialist Republics provided a large-scale demonstration of what living under socialism and communism was like. They were so afraid here that that was going to come to America, that they were willing to take any means necessary to prevent it from coming, rather than working to make sure that the people's needs were met so that they would have no interest in it. It's all very perplexing to me. However, moving right along, Labor Day today. Labor Day weekend is now a time of barbecues and getaways, summer holidays, time on the boat, watching your garden grow, whatever it is that gives you relaxation on a day off from your government job. And in more recent times, places like Amazon, Starbucks, and Apple, certain parts of them have pushed unions to capturing what a majority of all American workers now say that they want, which is just fair treatment. Treat me like I'm a human being. Understand that I serve you, but you don't get to treat me in a kind of way. I'm not beneath you. I work with labor Labor leaders who focus on the bread and butter issues rather than the broad social change continue to dominate the AFL, CIO, and other unions. In other words, they deal, uh, when they say bread and butter issues, they mean that they deal more with, you know, your wages and your pension and, you know, making sure that Everything that you worked for and everything that you were promised when you started that job and you stayed for 30 years plus that you got at the end 
Because I remember growing up and when unions were getting broken up here where I live, there was a lot of violence here. And that companies, in order to meet their bottom line and and satisfy their stockholders, that they would take from the people who built the company. Reduce the, the health care, reduce the amount of money, uh, went from paying you know, retirement to putting us in the 401ks where we have to manage our own retirement. And if you don't know how to do that, how that can put you in a detriment. But Labor Day was designed to relieve all of us. In my observation just recently, it's almost like Yes, we take Labor Day for granted. We forget those who sacrificed and labored and did without and faced hanging and death so that we can have our day off every first Monday in September. So as I close out, just tell the truth but until the next episode. I want you to take a moment to reflect as I said in the beginning. Those that babysit your kids, do your dry cleaning. Wash your car. Make sure your latte's right. They know you so well that they can tell what you want before you come through the door because they can time you like that. These people who pick your fruit, who wash the dishes in your favorite restaurant, they're human too. They are no greater and they certainly are no less. So on this Labor Day, I encourage you to learn more about what Labor Day really is in America. Learn its history. Learn its value so that we can continue to come up and how we treat those in everyday situations so that we, and each of us, can have the freedoms that we have on that one day a year. For more information on Labor Day in America, I encourage you. The History Channel, Labor Day 2023, Fact Meaning Challenge. Next, we must honor American workers on Labor Day. An article written by the Shriver Center on Poverty Law. And finally, Labor Day's link to the history of slavery in America in Times Magazine. So until next time, just remember, tell the truth.